So excited to start this brand new preaching series uh, with you. I love preaching in series. And this book, uh, this series is based on a book called Fresh Air by Pastor Chris Hodges. Pastor Chris Hodges is from Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, some, some preachers don't tell you when they preach other guys' stuff. Listen, th- th- this guy wrote this book, okay? I'm going to preach his book. So I don't, I'm not going, like, I don't want you to think I'm this smart. However, uh, when you go buy the book, I hope that you do. You can go buy it on Amazon or something like that. We're going to preach kind of, expand a little bit more. There's some great personal stuff and his story in that book. But I think he released it in t- 2011, 2012, something like that. And it just, it absolutely changed sort of, you know, my idea about God's presence. And I hope that you grab that book. He pastors the second largest church. In North America, Church of the Highlands is only 16 years old. They have 16 campuses, and they average about 60,000 people every weekend. And they, uh, they're just dynamic, absolutely dynamic, life-giving church. And as a matter of fact, our church is connected to Church of the Highlands. He started the organization that church plants uh, other churches, and they helped plant our church. So we're connected in that way to, uh, to Church of the Highlands and to Pastor Chris Hodges. So he wrote this book called Fresh Air. And I just thought this is a great, uh, this is just such a great topic. And here's what we're going to talk about. Let me just sort of give you, you know, if you don't come back for the next three or four weeks, I don't know why you wouldn't. But if you don't come back for the next three or four weeks, let me give you the punchline. You ready for this? We're going to preach about God's presence and God's spirit. Because here's what I think. I think that everybody ought to have a life-giving, passionate, vibrant, full of joy experience with God's Spirit. And say amen to that, everybody. I think that you ought to enjoy coming to church. I think church ought to be enjoyed and not just endured. And if you don't enjoy it, don't come back. Don't come back. And then I'm going to call you and say, why didn't you come back? And you say, because this was terrible and I didn't enjoy it. Whatever. I, I really believe that, man. I think, listen, outside of this wall, there's enough hell. Come on, everybody. I live in enough hell everywhere else. When I come in here, I want to get as close to heaven as I possibly can. Amen, everybody. I want to be in a place that's spirit-filled and spirit-led. So we're going to preach about that. And here's the really the, what I'm going to preach about. I, I'm going to preach about sort of that intangible force, what we're calling that fresh air, that really gives your soul revival and kind of that fresh breeze over your soul. How many of you were up early? Now, y'all came to 1045, so nobody, two of you were here. The rest of y'all lied. No, y'all sleep in. Y'all the smartest group, okay? Nine o'clock, they were up early. But my little boy, he's two and a half years old, and he he got up this morning, and we, we, he, got, he got his clothes on, and he kind of... He sleeps in and out of while we get dressed for church. Anyway, he, he wasn't fully awake yet. We walk outside, and it's super bright, and it's cool. Somebody say amen to that. We weren't in Houston. It wasn't sweaty and humid and all that kind of nastiness. I'm, oh, Jesus, why would you live there? So we, we were in the hill country, and we, we just we walked outside, and my little boy, he closed his eyes like this. you got to know he's, he's shaped like a tree stump. He's about this tall. And he, just, he just he stuck his belly out like this and closed his eyes, and he goes... Oh, it's so cool, Daddy. <laughs> he said, it was just so great. It was just that breath of fresh air, man. It was just that, that breeze sort of hit him, that cool breeze. And when you're kind of a husky boy, it's, it's nice when it's cool outside. Amen, everybody. I'm tired of sweating all the time. So he's kind of husky. I'm kind of husky. So it was a nice breeze outside today. And it was just, man, here's what I thought. As soon as he did it, I thought, man, how great that God would do that for me. Because here's what I think this whole series is about. Listen, it's about you spiritually sort of stepping into the sunlight, bowing your chest back and filling your lungs up with fresh air. Just sort of getting out of a place where you feel like you're lifeless and you're covered in gray clouds. And I don't know if I'm preaching to anybody here, but I think that, that, that I am. There are probably people in this room that sort of know what it's like to feel like my, my skies are just gray. 
and, and everything just seems to I'm just heavy and it's just it's just humid not literally but Lord like in my spirit like in my heart in my marriage in my career in my jobs I just need a fresh breath breath of air I just need like like a breeze to blow over my soul I just need like I just need a cool breeze to kind of revive me and breathe life back into me and that's what this whole series is uh, about I, we took this uh, it, the name of the series and the name of the book from this passage. I love the Living Bible translation. Paul would write to Timothy and he says this, May the Lord bless. And then he says this name, Onesiphorus. Now, let me just stop right here and say, if you are pregnant and haven't named your baby, this is a great, great name to go ahead and put on. It's a boy name or a girl name. You can go with like Oni or Forrest or whatever, whatever you want to go with. I think it's spectacular. He said, May the Lord bless him and all of his family because he visited me. And encouraged me often. And here's what Paul says about his friend. He said, his visits revived me, listen, like a breath of fresh air. You know somebody like that in your life that when you see them, they're just like, it's just like a breath of fresh air. Let me give you the opposite. You know anybody in your life that they feel like they suck the air right out of you? Come on, everybody. You feel like, don't point at your spouse. You just feel like, man, when I'm around you, like... I just, I just, I, I don't know if you're depressed, but I'm depressed thinking about how depressed you are. Like you just suck the life right out of me. Paul said, there's this guy in my life and every time he comes to me, it literally is like a, it's like, it's like emotional CPR. Now listen, that's the kind of experience I want you to have over the next couple of weeks in this church. I want our whole church to sort of have that fresh air experience where when you come to God's house, when you, when you sort of get it, wherever it is that you get in God's presence, you realize, man, this is not supposed to be, I'm not supposed to be down, like, I'm supposed to be full. I'm supposed to just be, I'm supposed to be full of air and full, of, like recovering. I get, my, I get my breath back. I sort of catch my breath. I love to go on vacation to the beach. Anybody beach people in the house? Let me see your hands. All of y'all. Anybody mountains people? Anybody? You're weird. Uh, um, some of y'all raise your hand. You're just like, I'm just a vacation person. I'm just being honest with you. I just want out of here. I'm just, I just want a vacation. I don't care. Okay, I'll go to Galveston. Call it the beach. I love going to the, to the beach with my wife. I, we didn't do that growing up. I went to the mountains a lot uh, with my family. But when we got married, Brandy's a beach vacationer. So we would go to the beach. And we went to California. We have some friends from California. Part of our church. And I love going to California. And we would, we would when you fly into San Diego, if you've ever flown into San Diego, there are airports right on the water. It's right downtown. And, and there's a long breezeway that you walk across to sort of get out of the airport. You don't just walk out. You literally walk across this breezeway. And, and you're, so you're elevated. And you can see the ocean from there. It's just it's stunning. Anyway, I don't know where heaven is. But I think it's close to San Diego. So it's like on this side of Tijuana. <laughs> like it's, it's just beautiful over there. And so you see all that. And literally we would walk out and just sort of just every time we walk outside, we just and it smells like seagulls and poop and whatnot. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, it's, it's just it's just it's just amazing. It's amazing weather. It's just amazing place. You sort of fill your lungs up with that. And, and at some point in our life, listen, here's the, here's the hope for you. At some point in your life, I think that everybody sort of needs that in your spirit. Amen. I think everybody sort of gets in the point in your life when you need that. And my hope for you over the next four weeks, I'm just being uh, I, I want to give you just right up there that whatever in your life that feels lifeless and in a slump, maybe you're, you're despondent. Maybe, maybe you just maybe you just need a revival. Maybe you just feel listless. You ever been sick and you just don't feel like moving anybody like that? How many of you women are married to a man that when he gets sick, your boy just shuts down? Let me see all the wives hands. Yeah, he's got like a cold, but it's like a stage four cold. You know what I'm talking about? It's like. 
is like this. Nobody's ever had a cold like this for a baby. I don't know what's happening right now. My nose literally can come off of me right now. And I just, I, I'm not this way, but I hear other men are like this. Anyway, you just, you just, you just lay around lifeless. Like, I can't move. Jose. I can't, I'm just, I'm done. I know you like this. I know you are because you've been sick with me. I, just, I can't move, bub. I just want to lay down. What do you want to do today? Nothing. I'm sick. I'm sick. I'm so sick. I'm so sick. Right? Some of y'all get sick uh, thinking about church. Like, it's, it's so funny being a pastor because you'll, you'll get a text message on like a Tuesday and they're like, Pastor, probably not going to be there this week. I'm sick. It's Tuesday. What are you talking? Like, you're already sick on Tuesday and you know I'm probably going to be sick all the way through the weekend. Like, this is a bad one. Like, this, this is the worst kind of sickness I've ever had before. On Tuesday, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be sick on Sunday. But on Facebook, you didn't look so sick. Anyway, I, so... When you get sick like that, man, you just don't want to do nothing. and You just want to lay around. I just feel lifeless and lethargic. And here's the truth of the matter. There's some stuff inside of your heart that's not on the external. It's not, it's not physical. There's some spiritual sickness that some people in this room that are facing that literally has you just lifeless. I just want to lay around. I, don't, I just feel like I'm, I'm just, I don't want to move. I, I just, I don't have any energy. I don't mean real energy. Some of you do. Like it's manifesting itself in depression. Or just in lifelessness or just, I feel stuck. And here, here's the phrase that we use a lot. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. You ever heard somebody say, I feel like I'm just stuck in the doldrums. You ever heard somebody say that? I'm just in the doldrums. I'm just, I feel like, once you write that down in your notes, I feel like I'm in the doldrums. I started thinking about that phrase before. I, I use that and I've heard somebody say that to me. And I thought, man, what is that? Here's the truth. We use that to sort of talk about when we get in the funk. When we get just down, when we get depressed, when we, we feel like we have no life in us, we're just in a slump. But it's a real word, and it's a, it's a word that, that talks about a specific area of the globe that has a unique weather pattern. The, the, northern, the, the weather patterns from the north, the cold weather from the north, it kind of blows in uh, this way. And then from the southern hemisphere, it collides like in the middle in this place called the Intertropical Convergence Zone. This is a true story. And if you're, if you're in maritime, if you're a sailor, you know that this Intertropical Convergence Zone is where the winds from the north and the winds from the south kind of get, they collide together. And right in the middle there, that's a real maritime word called the doldrums and and in that doldrums if you were sailing if you were a sailor you would know if you get into that particular area where the wind is blowing this way the wind's blowing this way you're stuck in the middle that literally there is no wind in that area there's no wind blowing so so ships would sail to the doldrums and they would literally get stuck there you couldn't there was no wind to make your boat move you just you, you were just stuck right there you just can't get out and and, and the truth of the matter is Everybody from time to time gets stuck in the doldrums. Amen, everybody? You just feel like, I, I, I'm not lost. I'm just stuck. It's not that I don't know where I'm going. I want to go over there. I just can't move. I just don't have any wind in my sails. I just don't have any breath in my lungs. I'm, I feel so strongly when I'm preaching to you. I'm trying to hold back so I don't scare some of y'all. I just, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I love preaching this way because I've been there. I've lived in this doldrum where you just don't feel like, it's not that I'm just, it's not that anything's wrong particularly in my marriage. It's just not moving anywhere. The passion's gone. The, the, it's just, there's no wind in our sails. It's not that anything's wrong in my career. I've, I've worked to get this. I went to school for this. But I'm just not passionate about it. There's just nothing moving me forward. And I feel like I'm just stuck right in the middle of this doldrums. And my job, when, when I first got it, I was so excited. Now I hate it. And 
my marriage. When we got married, we had known each other like two or three weeks, and it was so awesome. And then we got married, and then, now I hate them. And, and I just, or even my relationship, more often than not, listen, in your relationship with God, this is where people get stuck. They get stuck not in a position, listen, where you're far from God. You're just stuck in the doldrums spiritually. I'm not hot, and I'm not cold. I'm just stuck here. And as a pastor, here's the scariest thing when I look at you and I look across your life and look across the landscape of the spirituality of my church. It's not people who are hot. I love those kind of people. It's not even people who are cold. I love those kind of people. I'm talking about people that just go, preach, I don't believe none of this. I just come here for the music. Like, I don't even, I don't even like you. I just, come, I, just, I just come here for the donuts or the coffee. I'm fine with that. Here's what scares me the most as a pastor when I look at your life and it's not hot or cold. It's just stuck in this lifeless spot. We're, I'm not moving forward. I'm not making spiritual progress. We're nothing. I'm just stuck in the doldrums. And I, I, for the next couple of weeks, listen, I'm going to do my best to preach to you about what the Bible would call the wind of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit that can blow into your life. And in a couple of weeks, I'll preach to you about an instance when literally the Holy Spirit blows into an area. The Bible says it was like a rushing mighty wind. And everybody's cells were filled up with wind again. How many of you would like that kind of experience in your life? Come on, everybody. I need that. I need that in my life. And when you get stuck in the doldrums, Terrible things can happen. Some of you are living there right now. Let me give you a couple of them. Here's the first thing that happens when you get stuck in the doldrums. If you're taking notes, you start to fake it. You start faking it. I don't know if you're somebody like this. You know somebody like this. But when you get stuck in the doldrums, you start saying stuff like, Oh, I'm great. I'm fine. Everything's good. You go to work and you're smiling. You're all smiling. You're like, I love this. This is my favorite job in the whole world. I love this. I love you. I love everybody. And you, you're ready to, like your head's going to fall off. Like you hate your life. You hate everything about it. Spirit, listen, religious people do this all the time. Church people, y'all some funny bunch of folk. Church people are so funny. They come in and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, people at the front door are like, Hey, good morning. Welcome to City Hills. How's it going? And they're like, awesome. And, and we use spiritual words. We're like, oh, girl, I am too blessed to be stressed. Look at me right now. I'm ble- I am blessed and highly favored. You, just, you start talking crazy spiritual stuff. You start, and the truth of the matter is you just cuss to your husband the whole way to church. And I don't, mean, I don't mean Christian cuss words. I don't mean like dang it all to heck. I'm talking about the real stuff, okay? I'm talking about you cuss. I'm talking about you beat your kids. I'm, your, your kids are bad. I mean, they're, they're in kids ministry right now kicking the teachers. I mean, bad. <laughs> you, your kids have gone crazy. Your life is a mess right now. You lost your job. You ain't got no money. Everything's broke down. But when we get to church, we sort of just start faking it. Say, man, everything's great. Everything's so good. Good, good to see you. I love y'all. We hug. And, and you learn how to fake it through the doldrums. You learn how to fake it when I feel lifeless and, and, and we start putting our band-aids over our bullet holes. I'm preaching to somebody. Where things are leaking out of you and you, and you feel like, man, I'm going to die at any moment, but I can't let anybody see it. So I start patching all this stuff up and faking it to everybody. Jeremiah said this when you start doing that. He said, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. And peace, peace is what they say when there is no peace. Jeremiah was preaching to people who look at somebody who's struggling and they just tell you, oh, it's going to be fine. You ever heard somebody say that? Your whole world's falling apart. And all they've got for you is, oh, honey, it's going to be fine. And usually people who say that have a story better than your story. You know what I'm talking about? When you're, you're losing everything and they're like, oh, girl, it's fine. Listen, I had that same thing. I had this, you know what I mean? I'll never forget one time. I, <laughs> where there was a situation. There's a guy that, that I worked for and... and, and the, uh, one of the employees, his father had just had a massive heart attack, and he got a he got a phone call at work, and he's like, 
my dad, massive heart attack, you know, terrible, and his chest pains, and rushing to the hospital, and my friend was just broken, you know, it, I mean, when you get a, when you get a phone call like that, you know, your dad's, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, and, and chest pains, and, and it's just terrible, and so he, t- he goes in, and he goes, man, my dad just had a massive heart attack, you know, chest pains, they take him to the hospital, <laughs> and the guy looked at him, and he goes, he said, oh, that happens to me all the time, it's probably indigestion, <laughs> You want to punch somebody right in the throat. You want to give a Holy Ghost punch right in the throat. You're talking about, I don't even like you. I hate you. I hope you get a heart attack right now. Usually people that just look, everything's fine. And here's the truth. Those are the people who are usually faking something too. And they're trying to cover up their their lifelessness, their listlessness, their depression. They're stuck in the doldrums with no passion, no wind in their sails. And when you get there, you know, the first thing you start to do is faking it. You start telling everybody it's okay. When you go from there, you, you go long enough. If you hang out there, you get to this next phase. If you're taking notes, write this down. Then you put it off. You start putting off what it is that's wrong with you. You just start dealing. If, if you've ever been in a funk on some level, instead of dealing with it and talking through it and working through it, asking God to heal it, you start putting it off. And listen, here's what you say. You say, well, time will heal this. Look at my eyes. Now, there's a Christian counselor in the rooms, a couple of counselors, there's some people a lot smarter than me, but listen to me. Let me tell you something. Time does not heal anything. Time is not a healer. God is our healer. Time will separate you from your pain. Time will give you perspective on your pain. Time is able to for you to... But more often than not, here's what happens. When you start putting time between your problem and you, what you're really doing is putting it off. And instead of it going away, it starts growing that way. God, I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. I wish I was in a black church and somebody come shine my shoes right now. That's how I feel. I promise you. I feel just like that right now. I will. I'm inviting all of y'all when I do it. Because I'm going to wear a robe and a chain and the whole thing. I got to keep my hands in my pocket to act right, Chris. Listen to me. We start telling ourselves, everything's okay. I'm just going to put this off and deal with this later. Anybody married to a procrastinator? Would you raise your hand if you're married to a procrastinator? Good. Nobody? All the men are like, no, I'm not raising my hand. I was a procrastinator. Listen, I really was. I, I just, it was just some stuff. And, and here's what normally happens when I put something off or later. It normally, it's not that it goes away. It usually gets worse. You know what I'm talking about? When, if it was, if I would have dealt with it when it was this small, I see this all the time in marriages and relationships. If you would have dealt with it really small, you know, he just don't pick his drawers up. You know what I'm talking about? He just don't pick his underwear up. No big deal. But, but it grows and you don't deal with it and it, it gets so big. And by the time you get to my office, you're like, pastor, I hate him. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't love our kids. And I think think he's having an affair I don't like him at all and it's just, it's just terrible and it really was just something small that you just, it grew over time it didn't go away over time listen time will not heal all your wounds only the Holy Spirit will do that I need you to get that inside of your heart today that you and I need a touch from God's Spirit. We need God's power in us. We need the Holy Spirit blowing fresh in our lives. That's the only thing that's going to heal you. I, I, let me. I, if anybody told you time would heal the divorce, the funeral, the, 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 the breakup. If anybody told you time would heal the bankruptcy, the foreclosure. None of that is true. Time will separate you. But God can heal you in a moment. Would you shout amen to that? And there's some folks in the room that need healing from that. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Listen close. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble in you 
and defiles many. Here's what the Bible says. It says when you put this off, when you start putting off your stuck and your depression and you're in the doldrums, not only will it not go away, it will grow. And if it takes root in you, come on everybody, if it takes root inside of you, it will grow up bitterness And when it comes out of you as bitterness, it doesn't just cause you trouble. The Bible says it will defile people around you. Have you ever met bitter people and they make everybody else around them bitter? You know somebody like that? I'm trying not to look at some of y'all. You ever ever met somebody just there's bitterness, there's hurt, there's something they put off for some other time. And that bitterness took root down and they thought time was going to heal it. Listen, they never allowed the Spirit of God to heal that thing. So it took root in their gut, in their heart, in their spirit. And it grew out of them as bitterness. And now it doesn't just cause them trouble, their marriage trouble, but it it causes trouble all around them and their families and their kids and everywhere. And if, if you fake it long enough and you put it off, here, here's the third phase. If you're in the doldrum, you end up just giving up. You just give up. There, there, there's some people who just get to that point where they think, man, I, I, what's the whole point? You know, what's the point of, of, of even coming to church? And listen, they get stuck in religion so long that they think, man, if this is it, I don't want anything to do with this. I'm just going to give up on this. They don't have relationship with God. They just go through the motions. They just obey all of the rules, trying to get it right. And when they can't get it right enough, they just throw in the towel. People do this in their careers. People do this in their relationships. They hit a wall. And instead of trying to get through that, get healing past that deal. And Instead of asking God, the Spirit of God, to give you that fresh air, that cool breeze that can revive your soul, you just say, I'm out. And and, and then the phone rings and you think, man, how did that marriage fall apart? What happened there? Really, It wasn't like a bad thing. It wasn't an adultery. It wasn't something that's terrible. No, no, no. We just hit a wall. And I just gave up. Because I'm tired of being stuck. Instead of allowing God's spirit saying, God, you got to heal what's wrong deep inside of me. Job, know what, he knew what that was like. Job 17, he asked sort of God or just everybody around him. He just said, where is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? I don't know if you've ever been in this situation where it's, it's, it's so bad, you can't even see it for yourself. You're now asking around, can anybody else see any hope in me? I've met with people, I'm telling you, that it feels like it's so bad. They've just given up. They literally say, preacher, there's no hope for me. Well, you don't know what I see and it doesn't matter. I don't know if anybody can see hope in my situation. You get to the point where you just think, man, I I just can't do this anymore. I'm going to give up. And then oftentimes, if you get to this place in the doldrums, listen, you end up in the fourth and final stage. If you're taking notes, would you write this down? You just end up dying. You die. Now, now, to be you know completely transparent, there are some people who literally get, and this is this is it's not a laughing matter. Or this is so serious. There are literally people who get to the end of their rope and decide I can't do this anymore and end it all and just say I can't, like I can't, I just can't do this anymore. Who feel so hopeless that you just feel like I just can't move on. There are other people who don't physically die, but, but literally, like, you know, morally, you just die. You know, all your morals are dead. You see this in marriages, and you think, man, I never would have thought she would have done that or he would have done that. Well, what happened is they got stuck so long without the Spirit of God working in their life and cleaning up their life and blowing through their life and filling them full of fresh air that they just, they just their morals died. 
And now anything goes. Anything can happen. And sometimes people die spiritually. They just, they, they just turn the back on the whole thing. I can't tell you the number of people that you, you know, you went to school with, you graduated with in your family who just got stuck so long without a life-giving experience with God that they, they got stuck in the doldrums so long they just decided, you know what, I'm done with this whole thing. And they turn their back on God and walk away from the whole thing. Usually what happens is they, they come back, you know, as a 40, 50, 60 year old, uh, you know, person with, 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 you know, relationship struggles and marriages and kids and divorces and, 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 and just, just wreck and carnage all around them, addictions and bankruptcy and just stuff all around them. And you think, what happened? They just died and just said, man, I got, I'm walking away from this whole thing. And the reason I'm preaching to you for the next four weeks is because I think that's where a lot of people, not only in this church, I think in our Country, I think in our community, I think there's so many people stuck here. Not lost. Not away from God. Just stuck. Just no life in my experience with God. Just nothing here. Paul would say, I know what that's like. In 2 Corinthians, he says, we were under great pressure. Far beyond our ability to endure. Some of you felt like that. So that we were despaired even of life. Listen, indeed our hearts, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Paul said, it, it would, I literally felt like that my insides were dead. And there's some people in the room who felt that doldrums. I'm trapped. I'm stuck. My career, my relationships, my purpose. I just need this fresh breeze. I need this blowing across me. And here's what we need to do. Listen, some of us, we decide to start fixing it externally. I don't know if you know anybody like this that's a fixer. And they start looking at the external things in their life. And they start thinking, man, I, I, I'll just change this. And I'll tinker with this. I'll get a new job. I'll get a new wife. I'll get some new kids. I'll get a new house. We'll move. We'll do this. We just keep tinkering with some external things when really... None of that stuff changes what's wrong on the inside of you. We need an internal change. We need something that revives our soul. Something that blows through our life. That literally would clean out all of that depression and all of that lack of joy and lack of purpose and lack of peace. That fills ourselves with wind and we can walk out finally into the light of day when it's cool and crisp. And fill our lungs up and start breathing again. That's my prayer for you over the next couple of weeks. That something would be said. Something would happen. Some song. Something I say. Some altar time. When you just decide, okay, God, I need your spirit to do that in me. I'm tired of being stuck in the doldrums. I'm tired of being stuck right where I am right now. And here, here's what happens most of the time. Listen, most of the time, especially in the South, I don't meet people who are heathens. Now, you may be a heathen here today. You may think you're a heathen. You're really not. Heathens are people who just are far from God, never heard of God, never come to church, never known anything about God, just nothing at all whatsoever. Most of the times I don't find that. Most of the times I found the opposite, and this may be harder. These are religious people who are stuck in religious ways, who were raised super religious, and they, and they know that God is real and that God can do it, but they get stuck in this process, listen, of doing a bunch of good things. I'm going to preach really strong, so you got to listen really hard. You start doing a bunch of good things, trying to get to God, thinking I'm going to get extra credit from God if I follow the rules just right. How many of you have ever liked extra credit in school? Would you raise your hand? I hated math. If you're a math teacher, I don't know why you aren't saved. You, you need to pre I, I hated math. 
And I would do, I would do absolutely anything in math class, whatever I could do for extra credit, because I knew I was gonna get a zero on something. I was gonna, I was gonna fail a bunch of tests. And you want me to wash your car? Done. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I, I need some extra credit in this class, or else I'm gonna mess up. And there's some people who come to God that way. You say, I know I'm gonna mess up, and so here's what I'll do: I'll do all these extra rules. I'm preaching to somebody right now. I'll do all this extra stuff. I'll, I'll tinker with all of the outside stuff. Not, I'm never gonna change my heart. It's never on the inside of me it's just externally I'll do more thinking I can get myself out of this I'll just go to my sailboat and I'll and I'll try to blow myself in my sails out of this you know what I'm t- I know it sounds funny but some of you live 20 years of Christianity this way trying your best to get yourself out of the doldrums trying yourself just get, maybe I can do more pray more go more serve more give more go to missions trips I'll adopt kids I'll fall, I'll do whatever I have to do and nothing changes on the inside of you in one moment in God's presence when you fill your lungs up with the spirit of God and you go this is what I've been missing all of my life this is the passion I've always won. This is the experience that puts wind back in my sails. Religious people think, man, I can do something on the outside. And people get so off track because the more you manufacture that stuff, the more exhausted you get. You ever notice that? Let me be honest with you. Let me, let me confess to you. Look at my eyes. I lived my 20s this way. I'm fourth generation in a spirit-filled church. Now, we say spirit-filled now because it's more acceptable. I was raised Pentecostal. Some of y'all know. (laughs) We say spirit-filled now so we don't scare all the Catholics. But I'm serious about that. I'm kidding. I'm I'm kidding a little bit. But seriously. I was raised fourth generation. My my, my great-grand... We just buried my grandmother, my grandmother, my parents, and me. I was raised... And I thank God for that. Listen, if you're looking for somebody to talk negative about their experience, you got the wrong cat. I don't believe in that stuff. I'm not going to begrudge that. I know Jesus Christ because of that. But I lived my 20s trying to do more. Trying to, I just thought, man, there's just something missing. There's just something inside of my life that's not right. So listen to what I did. I started doing external stuff. Maybe I can preach more. And, and, and I, would, I would give more and I would go more and I'd put myself in different scenarios. And I preached on the largest stages offered to me. I preached literally in coliseums, tens of thousands of people. And I don't tell you that, Brad. I'm just telling you this is how I, I, I tried to do more, to try to feel what was wrong inside of me. Maybe if I can just preach on a bigger stage. I traveled the world. I preached literally all over the world, all over the country. I did everything I could do to fill that void. Why is this not, why is it not life-giving? Why don't I feel the wind in my spirit? I'm supposed to feel differently than this it's supposed to be full of joy and the more I did the more lifeless it felt and at some point in my late 20s my early 30s I just decided you know what God this isn't working for me I can't change all this external stuff because listen to me even though it's easier to follow the rules and do the external changing that stuff will not put wind back in your sails when you've got an internal problem you can't you can't put lipstick on a pig and change it being a pig To quote the poet Sarah Palin. (laughs) And this has always been a choice. You and I have a choice. Listen close. We have a choice in our life. We're either going to accept religion and what religion offers or relationship. I'm either going to fix the outside stuff and get all of that stuff and try to tinker with my life. Or I'm just going to surrender to God's spirit to do something on the inside of me. It's the only choice that we have. It's, it's, It's always been the choice. Way back with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. 
The Bible says in the middle of the garden where the tree of life, listen close, write this down, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If, if you take notes or if you're a doodler, I want you to take your, your worship guide and I want you to draw two trees. There's just two trees. There's only two trees in the middle of your garden. Listen to me. I know I'm preaching hard to you and I got to preach quick because I got to go home because I'm hungry. But there's only two trees. Listen to me. There's only two ways you're going to serve God. It's either going to be the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's religion, or the tree of life, that's relationship. The only way you're going to approach God, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to set some of you religious people free today. I'm telling you, you're going to mark this day down in your life because you have lived your life trying to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God comes to Adam and Eve and He says, there's this two trees in there. There are two choices there. You can either do all these good things and learn about all the bad things and then try to do all the good things and not do all the bad things or there's the tree of life. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded Adam and He said, you are free to eat from every tree in the garden. Look at, my, look at my eyes. God has more for you than you think that He has for you. He's got a whole garden full of stuff. I don't care how long you've been saved. There's more to this garden than you know about. Shout amen to that. He said you can eat all of this. Everything in here. Except, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it, you will spiritually. And there's some people, no fault of your own. You were raised in a religious system. Or some of you, since you've been coming here, you have tried to do all the right things. And you took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thinking if I just know the right things and don't do the wrong things, I do all the do's, I don't do all the don'ts, then I'll get to God. And you are, listen, you're saved. I'm not telling you you're going to hell. I'm just telling you there's no life in that. There's just no life in that. And you'll find yourself stuck in the doldrums. You'll find yourself stuck where I, I can't get out of this. I'm trying to get out and it doesn't work. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to do, to do more stuff. I, I, listen, the enemy has always wanted you to pick from the wrong tree. If he can get you in religion, that's better than getting you in hell. If he can get you stuck in seeing God the wrong way, that's better than you just... Most of you aren't going to worship Satan. Say amen. But most of us will be tempted with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's where the enemy goes. Well, if I can't get them to worship me, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll get them to worship religion so that they'll get confused about God and they'll never get unstuck. And eventually, if I can get them stuck long enough, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then I'll get them stuck in the doldrums and they'll die there. And then I can do what I want to do with their lives. And some of you have lived your Christianity stuck in the doldrums. God said, you can eat anywhere in here, but there's only two trees. So there's only two ways. You either do it religion or you do it relationship. It's either, listen, it's either this way or this way. And I got to tell you, if, I, if no one's ever told you, religion is not what Jesus came for. The gospel is not a set of rules for you to do and don't do. The gospel is that God's come to change your inside. He's come to give you power, overcoming power, joy unspeakable. He's come to give Give you peace and life. And that's the presence of God. That's the fresh air of His Spirit. That's the tree of life. He said, I want to breathe that into you. 
Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to preach from this passage. If you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember this. This is my prayer for you this day. Deuteronomy says, this day I call heaven and earth as a witness against you. That I have set before you two choices. Life and death. Blessing and curses. And God said, despite what you've ever heard about me, here's my, cho- here's my plan. Here's what I want for your life. Listen to me, religious people. Listen to me, people raised in a, in a system that you feel like I've always been bound. I've, j- I've always tried to work on the external, never change the internal. Nothing ever worked for me. I can't. I just feel lifeless and stuck. Listen to me, people stuck in the doldrums. God said, here's what I want you to do. Now, choose life. Like, that's what I want for you. I want you to, that's why, that's why you hear me say all the time, this is a life-giving church. Because I want you to choose a life. I want you to come out of church with your head held high. You say, are you soft on sin? Listen, if y'all think I'm soft on sin, this is the wrong church. You know that. You know that's different. I'm not telling you we're going to pervert the grace of God by, by continuing in our sin. But I am telling you this. You will never get unstuck in your life if you keep working through religion and working through the rules and working through the list. You have got to get to a point in your life when you choose life. When you just decide, I want this. I mean, let me tell you the choices that you have. I got to preach quick because my clock is ticking down. I'm getting hungrier by the minute. There's just, I, I'm, let me give you three choices. There's just, there's only a couple of ways this can go. Would you take notes and write this down? The first thing you can do is you can either do, you can do more. You can just, you can just try to do more. This is the problem with religious people. I'll just pray more, give more, fast more, serve more. Now listen, I believe in spiritual disciplines. I preach that to you. I think you need to do that. I just think if you'll have an internal change, then that external stuff will be the overflow of what's happening in my heart. It doesn't work the reverse. You understand what I'm telling you? You can't paint your car into an oil change. You just can't do it. You've got to change on the inside. And when the inside's right, then you can paint it up and it'd be pretty for everybody to see. But it won't run right if you don't change the oil. You've got to change the inside. So I'm not telling you that stuff's not important. I'm telling you it can't be where you start. You've got to start with, am I going to do more? Or the opposite of that is, am I going to receive what's already been done for me? Jesus would talk to a bunch of Pharisees, people who were rule keepers. Is anybody in here a rule follower? Would you raise your hand if you're a rule follower? You're just going to follow the rules. It don't matter what they are. I know you are. I can see you. I know y'all dress alike. I know, I know how rule followers are. I'm married to a rule follower. They just, whatever the rules say. When, when you have a baby, this is, <laughs> when you have a baby, everybody wants to tell you how to raise your kids. And the first thing they do, and they, and they mean well, is they give you a book. And everybody's book is different about what happened with their kids. And they're like, oh my gosh, we did this. And our kid's two years old, and he's a brain surgeon. Pretty much, he's pretty much the smartest kid I've ever met. He sleeps like 15 hours a night. He's, he's amazing. Like he's so, he's kind of cross-eyed. But anyway, whatever. He's so cool. I'm kidding if you're cross-eyed. We, we, we had a little baby and everybody had a book for it. And, and we tried to do everything in the book, like by the book, like because I'm married to a rule follower. And it was like, here's what the book said. The book said, put them, you know, in the nursery. The book said, don't love them. The book said, don't look them in the eye. Don't the book, you know, the book said, swallow them up. The book said, sit on their head. The book said, put them in their own apartment. Do whatever the book said. And we tried to, and for about six weeks, we was following the book. Y'all hear me? We was doing the book. And about week six, I looked at that little woman and I said, listen to me. You can follow this book all you want to, but I'm about to leave this house. Because it's going to drive me crazy. We're going to have to figure out what works for us. And, and, and there's some people in here who have tried their best to keep following the rules. And let me tell you something. It's, easy to, it's easier to have a list of rules than it is to eat from the tree of life. 
Because when you have a list of rules, you just go, well, here's what the rules say. And if as long as I don't do this and everything, and that'll work for you. And you may go to heaven that way. But it's the most miserable doldrum experience you've ever lived. I want to live a life-giving experience. That means i got to receive what God's already done for me. Jesus would talk to the Pharisees and he would say in John 5, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. He said, but you forget this whole book testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. He said, you're trying to do religious stuff and you forgot this whole thing is about a person, not about a set of rules. I say it this way. I've said this all, I don't know, for years now. Since I kind of came through my 20s and did this. Jesus did not die for the path. He died for the people on the path. This church is not going to be known for the path. Let me just be honest with you. We're not going to be known for what we're against. We're going to be known for what we're for. And we're for people finding life. There's some good tree of knowledge of good and evil. Listen, there's some good churches out there that that's their, that's just not, this is going to be a tree of life kind of church. He said, I want you to get to the point where you don't do more. You receive. The second thing that you can do is you can try to get God's approval. You can try to get God's approval. This is how I lived my life. I still will fall back into this if I'm not careful. I thought God was a highway patrolman. I really did. How many of y'all know a state trooper that like sits around the back of the corner and you're flying over a hill and your boy's like peeping around there with his radar gun like bam, ah, and then he comes to get you. And you're like, dude, why you sneak up on me like that? You knew I was coming over a hill. Why did you do that to me like that? I thought God was that way. I really did. I thought God was looking a wave to get me. I thought he, and so I would try to do the best I could to get God's approval. Listen, you can either do that or you can receive God's love for you. That's the only two choices you have. You can either try to get God's approval by doing more stuff and getting more exhausted, trying to get extra credit, or you can receive what God's done for you. Listen, when Adam and Eve sinned, God had to deal with their sin. I'm not telling you we're soft. God had to deal with their sin. They eventually had to physically die because of the because of their sin. I'm not telling you God. He banished them from the garden. But I will tell you what happens. Listen to me. When they sinned. God wasn't hiding around the corner going. Ah, I knew you would do it. I knew you would do it. You're going to go to hell. 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 You're going to hell. No, no, no. No, no, no. When Adam sinned. God comes down in the garden. And you know what God starts doing? Adam. Where are you? God isn't coming to get you. God's coming to. Adam, where are you? I'm, 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 uh, something's happened between us. Th- that's why the Bible says that God demonstrates His own love for us in Romans. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to get good to get God. You don't have to clean anything up. You just got to receive what He's already done for you. That's the gospel. But you got a choice. The last thing you can do is you can either obey God out of duty or you can obey him out of delight. Now, I, we have we've been married 17 years and it took me about 17 minutes in my marriage to figure this out. At some point, and if you're married, at some point you're going to realize if I just do stuff so she won't yell at me. That we, we're not going to last very long, okay? There's just some stuff. I, I'm, I, I'm just, I, I, because she'll pick up and she'll go, you're just doing that so I won't get mad at you. You don't even want to do that. You don't like picking up your underwear. And I'm like, no, baby, I love this. This is my, I was born to clean up. I'm being honest with you. I love this. This is, I get to do this for you. I, 
Because I do it out of delight. There's just some stuff I know she likes. And I'm doing it out of delight. And some of you have been stuck in the doldrums spiritually. But not because you're doing the wrong thing. You're just doing the right thing the wrong way. And the right thing the wrong way is doing it out of duty. I, just, I guess I have to. I guess I have to go to church. I guess I have to give. I want God to bless me. I guess I have to give. No, no, no. I get to give. I get to serve. I get to be a part of this. That's doing it out of delight. And the way we're going to end, and I know I'm kind of over, but the way we're going to end is, how many of you have ever watched Fiddler on the Roof? You ever watched that old show? Yeah. I love this scene. Take a look at this. Love. Golden. Do you love me? Do I what? Do you love me? Do I love you? Well... With our daughters getting married and this trouble in the town. You're upset, you're worn out. Go inside, go lie down. Maybe it's indigestion. Uh, no, Golda, I'm asking you a question. Do you love me? You're a fool. I know. But do you love me? Do I love you? Well... For 25 years I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked your cow. After 25 years, why talk about love right now? Golden, the first time I met you was on our wedding day. I was scared. I was shy. I was nervous. So was I. But my father and my mother said we'd learn to love each other. And now I'm asking, Golda, do you love me? I'm your wife. I know. But do you love me? Do I love him? Well? For 25 years I've lived with him, fought with him, starved with him. 25 years my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? Then you love me. I suppose I do. And I suppose I love you too. It doesn't change a thing. But even so. After 25 years It's nice to know Listen, nobody move The next two, three minutes Let's just This is kind of be, be still and reverence this moment because that is the best illustration of religion and relationship as I know. The question is, do you love me? And the, and the answer is, well, I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this. It's the difference between relationship and religion. Well, I do all this stuff for you. So I get, but you don't understand. I don't want you to do more stuff. I want inside your heart. I don't want to keep changing the external stuff. If you keep tinkering with everything on the outside, listen close to me. You'll get stuck in the doldrums and you'll die there. And 
my prayer for you today and over the, over the course of this series is that you'll just open your heart to the wind of the Spirit. That whatever it is you think you know about the Holy Spirit, listen, whether you were raised like me in a, in a, in a, in a you know, hyper-spirit-filled environment that maybe you know, was you know, overboard on one side, or whether you were raised in an environment you never talked about you know, the Holy Spirit moving in your life, you, you're okay with Jesus dying on the cross, you're okay with God sending Jesus, you just, I don't know about the Holy Spirit, He seems crazy. We're going to put both of those aside. And we're just going to say, God, I just know this. I can't be stuck anymore. This is just lifeless. This is just so depressing. And I need the wind back in my sails. I think God, I literally, I, I really think God gave us this weather today so I could preach this to you. Because I just needed to step outside this morning. Some of you need that spiritually. That blue sky, cool breeze, fresh air. And I want you to have it. So why don't you stand and just real quickly and real quietly take somebody by the hand that you came to church with. I, I won't belabor the point. I know that we're over time and you're all going to stay and help with loadout anyway, so that's okay. Nobody looking around. Maybe if, 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 that's, if that's you, don't make me beg. I just want you to be honest. You know, you know if it's you. If you're stuck in the doldrums, if you are spiritually or emotionally or physically or your marriage, relationally, your career, you literally feel depressed and lifeless. And I just don't want to get off this couch. Some of you are physically, you're battling depression physically. Some of you, it's emotionally. You cry. You can't. I just don't have any life in me, Pastor. I think I'm saved. I think I'm going to heaven, but I'm just, I'm. I'm having a terrible time at it. I'm just stuck here. I've never moved beyond here. There's no wind here. If, if that's you, just raise your hand. Just be bold. Just say, that's me. Come on, hands up everywhere. Hands up everywhere. Hands up everywhere. That's me. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. If you're bold enough to raise your hand, I want you to be bold enough to pray a prayer that opens your heart and opens your spirit and say something like this. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need your presence. I need that life-giving spirit in me. That spirit that cleanses me and, 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 and washes out all of that, all that depression, all of that scar tissue from my past and my hurts and my shame. God, I need that spirit that heals me. I've tried to let time heal me, but time is just making it grow worse. I need the spirit of God. Come on, pray that way. Say that out loud to him. Say, God, I need the spirit of God in my life. I need you. God, I need that fresh air blowing in me. God, I repent of all of that stuff in me that's not right, all that spirit in me. I know, God, all the choices I've made, all the ways I've gone, all the direction I've gone. I, I give all that to you. I surrender that. But really, I'm asking you to put some wind back in my sails. I'm asking you to blow through me. I'm asking that fresh air, that wind of the Spirit to sort of just sweep over me, over my heart. Not externally. I don't have to even feel goosebumps. I need to feel something in my heart. I need my soul to be revived. I need my spirit to breathe again. I need a smile to come across my face again easily. I need the joy of serving God again. I need the passion of serving the church again. I, 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 need, I need my marriage to be full of love and passion again and not just duty. God, I need my 
job, my career. I just need the Holy Spirit to do something. And I need the power that comes with that. I feel so lethargic and powerless. I just need the power of the Holy Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would baptize this house. Over the next several weeks, over the next several days, in their homes, in their cars, when they're praying, when they're by themselves, God, I pray the Holy Spirit would literally overtake them, baptize them, come out of them, overflow inside of them. God, I pray it would flow out of them like like rivers of living water would flow out of them. God, it would come out of their mouth, out of their eyes. God, their eyes would gleam with passion again, with fire again, with the wind of the Spirit again. God, I pray that there would be smiles again. There would be heartfelt love again in a relationship that seems passionless. God, I pray. I pray you would sweep us out of the doldrums. In Jesus' name.